Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back. My name is Kingsley. I'm one of the ministry directors here at this church. Uh, Dan asked, what are some things that we're thankful for? Uh, for me, there's three things. Uh, the first thing was when I came in this Sunday morning, uh, walking, and I was a little late. My, my, my child didn't sleep super well last night, and my wife and I, we rushed to church and uh, we, we came here and we're like, okay, I got to run. I got to get into this meeting where we're going to do a pre-service meeting and hopefully n- not be too late. A- as I was coming in, I saw a small little group meeting in neighbor's hall. Apparently they had got together around 9.30 a.m. in the morning. Uh, while most of us were still trying to get our way here, these people came early to be praying for all of you. Uh, they, they came to church early because they want to bless you and ask the Lord to bless you this Thanksgiving weekend. And they prayed for us for a good half an hour and uh, so if you're feeling like, you know, you're excited to be at church today, you're feeling blessed by the music, blessed by the liturgy, um, and even blessed during communion or maybe preaching as well uh, during the sermon, uh, that's God working. That's God working and answering the prayers of these people who loved you so much to come early on their Sunday to pray for you. So that's the first thing I'm thankful for. Uh, the second thing I'm thankful for is actually that we're back to one service. Why? Why? Well, I know not all of us were able to spend time with our family this Thanksgiving weekend. I know for myself, uh, my parents weren't able to come up and this is the first Thanksgiving in a very long time where I didn't get to spend time with my full family. Today, if you look around, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ that you get to share this Thanksgiving with. And it's beautiful. So look around, smile at your brothers and sisters. They're your family. The third thing, the third thing is this opportunity that I have to preach and teach from God's word. Today we're looking at Acts chapter two and we see it's one of the early gatherings of the church, and they're all gathered in one place like we are today. And at the end of your bulletin, you'll see that the reader will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we're going to say, thanks be to God. And the reason why is that when we read the scriptures, we have an expectation and a hope that God will meet with us and speak to us through his word. And I trust and I hope that the Lord will do that. And so we thank God for his powerful word that we're going to hear read by Rachel. Rachel, can you come and please read Acts chapter 2 for us, please? Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they're amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. 
Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. To God. Thank you, Rachel, for reading. Let's bow in prayer. God, we thank you today for this beautiful word that we get to read. The day when your spirit came down to dwell with men and women, to dwell in men and women. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you do best, that you would convict our hearts of sin, that you would reveal to us all things, that you will teach us and draw to mind the things we have learned before. We pray that you'll give us boldness as we preach your gospel. We pray that you would give us courage as we engage our culture. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing to you. Amen. Amen. How do you feel about sharing your faith with your friends? 14 years ago, a Christian leader on campus asked me this question out of the blue. Caught off guard, I remember my shoulders getting tense. My heart began to race. Why? I knew this guy loved to share the gospel, and I was terrified he was going to ask me to do the same with him that afternoon. My thoughts began to spiral. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know my Bible well enough to tell people about Jesus, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure most of my friends don't care. I wonder, have you ever had such thoughts before? I wonder, have you wrestled with such thoughts before? In their most recent survey of the Canadian attitude toward evangelism, that's a Christian term for sharing the faith, Alpha Canada asked Christians to identify the major barriers that keep us from sharing our faith. Do you know what the top answers were? Number one, lack of confidence. Number two, fear of rejection. Number three, lack of training. Number four, the perceived antagonism toward Christian values and the church. Do you believe it? Fourteen years later, the same fears and sense of inadequacy I felt remain the top cripplers for Christian evangelism even today. I wonder, I wonder. Does this describe you? If we're honest, the majority of us resonate with the research. We don't feel equipped. We feel inadequate. We're fearful, we're anxious, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. The book of Acts helps us today because the book of Acts was written for people like us today who in reading the historical accounts of how our predecessors shared their faith in a hostile world, in reading this account, we would be able to experience a boost in courage, a boost in boldness, a boost in hope, as we see who it is that empowers us. Like us, 
the early church battled fear. Like us, they felt inadequate. But receiving power from Jesus through the promised spirit, the followers of Christ were empowered to live blazing lives that pointed the world to the all-satisfying, all-glorious, all-powerful King, Jesus. Calling us to marvel at the power given and to ponder the promise kept, Luke invites us to enter into the experience that helped the early church overcome their fears. And turning to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 22 today, we're going to do these two things today. We're going to first marvel at the power given, and number two, ponder the promise kept. These are our two points today. Firstly, let's look at marvel at the power given. Let's marvel together at the power given. Uh, Why should we marvel at the power given? Well, to help us overcome our fears and inadequacies, Luke prescribes that we start by looking in, specifically looking into who it is that dwells in us. In his historical account of the Holy Spirit's arrival, Luke spares no words in revealing the kind of power that has been given to every Christian. Uh, look with me to Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter one, verse. Or Act, excuse me, Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, "It's Pentecost. It's Pentecost, and they were all gathered together in one place." Pentecost is a holy day, one of three major agricultural festivals, marking the beginning and the end of a season. We see that they're all together. Who's all? Who are these people? Well, Acts chapter 1 verse 15 would suggest that it's the 120 followers of Jesus. They're all gathered in one room. Earlier in Acts chapter 1, Christ said that he would send his spirit to empower the believers to be faithful witnesses in the land around. Fast forward now to verse 2. In today's text, we see this power come to all 120 followers. Revealed to be person, this person is the third person of the Holy Trinity. It is God, the Spirit. We're going to read verse 2 together. I'm going to read it slowly this time. And I want to encourage you in this moment as we read to allow Luke to transport you into the Pentecost room. For in doing so, Luke wants to reintroduce you to the oft-forgotten God who dwells in you. So take out your Bibles. Take out your bulletins, flip to the back panel. We're going to read through Acts chapter 2, verse 2 together. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared then and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Appealing to your sense of hearing, Luke wants you to hear what it was like when God came down. It was powerfully loud. The noise was deafening. The air was howling. It filled the room. In the Old Testament, wind is often a symbol of the audible presence of God. Do you hear the power? Appealing to your sense of sight, Luke helps you see what the followers got to see. The Spirit revealed himself in fire, blazing fire. In the Old Testament, fire is a symbol of God's visual presence. Moses, Exodus 3, how did he see God? In a bush set on fire. 
The Israelites in the wilderness, how do they see God? In a pillar of fire. Taking us into the moment, Luke wants you to see, wants you to hear the power. You can hear the power, it's deafening. You can see the power, it's blazing. Verse three and four, you can feel the power. It's overwhelming. Verse three and four says that the fire rested on them. that The spirit filled them. These words are meant to appeal to our tactile senses, like water rushing into a vessel so the Spirit filled the hearts of every follower present. Like fire setting a heart ablaze, the encounter was so overwhelming, so overwhelming, in fact, that the people started sharing their gospel experiences in a language they never knew. They declared the mighty deeds of God, verse 11 says. Verse 9 and 11 tells us what languages we could hear. We hear the languages of the East, it's the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the tongues of the West, Mesopotamia, the tongues of the South, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, the tongues of the North, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya towards Cyrene, and those who were in Roman towns, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, all could hear the mighty deeds of God in their own tongue. All could hear these people testify that Jesus lives that Jesus died and rose from the grave, that Jesus lived the life that we could not live and he died the death that we should have died so that we might rise with him and reign with him and walk with him in the power of the spirit who now dwells in us. They heard these things of God's mighty deeds in their own tongue. By the power of God, through the spirit of God in a language they never knew, these no-named Christians were given the ability to herald the name that is above every name, the name that is Jesus Christ. Do you see the power? It's staggering. Many of us feel like God can't use us because we're too weak. We're too inadequate. See what God does here. He empowers people. He shows his people his power. You know what's crazy about Acts chapter 2? This only scratches the surface. Because beneath this physical phenomenon is a greater spiritual phenomenon that most readers miss. See, while most of us think that Luke is a good physician-turned-historian, he's actually also a good physician-turned-theologian. And theologians observe that Luke's detailed account of the language of the Spirit coming down and taking the languages of the world and unifying them under Christ is actually a reality-reversing, a history-reversing history nod to God's work in redemptive history. What do I mean by that? Well, if you take your Bibles, flip over to Genesis chapter 11, what you will see here is how the languages of the earth came about. At the Tower of Babel, God disciplined the people for their aspiration to be gods. In their pride, they tried to build a tower to reach up to God's level. And God scattering them and dividing them by confusing their languages to halt their insurrection, judge them. Parallel this with Acts chapter 2. The early church no longer seeking to make their name great. The early church is left wondering how it is that we will make God's name great. Jesus commanded them to go and make disciples in the world, but they neither had the power nor the gifts. What was God's answer to man's humility here? He came down but not to judge his people. He came down to equip his people. 
coming down not to make them gods, but to give us God. In history, redeeming power, God took the many languages of the earth and unified them all in the name of Christ. Theologians see here that God is reversing history. God is reversing Babel in Acts chapter 2. You want to see the power? This is the power. This is the power of God. Able to empower the weak, yet at the same time reverse history. This is our God. This is the God who dwells in you, Christians, today. When I read this over and over again this week, I kept getting goosebumps. I mean, just like that. God empowered his people to glorify his name, but also changed history at the same time. And Luke's invitation in taking us into this moment is to help us marvel at him, to help you marvel at the power given. I know many Christians, we are fearful when it comes to sharing our faith. Here we see is a powerful truth to help you in your faith. The God who dwelt in them is the God who dwells in all of you. If you are a believer today, this is true. He will empower you to share your faith. He will equip you to share your faith. Elsewhere in scriptures, Jesus teaches us that he will even give you the words to say when you're sharing your faith. Do you struggle with boldness? Yes, the scripture, the spirit himself will also give you the boldness to share your faith. When you begin to realize who it is that dwells in you, who it is that empowers you, something strange happens to the fear within. It starts to fade. Today, I knew that I was going to have to stand here before a much larger crowd than usual. And as I was sitting there, I got scared. But I remember, actually, the first time I preached at Grace Toronto, I was also scared. I actually got into a car accident just moments before I had to preach. And I was downstairs in the basement of the church when one of our congregants, a lovely woman, sitting in the front pew here actually, Lucy Baldwin, she saw that I was terrified and said to me, son, what's wrong? I told her I was scared. She prayed for me. She reminded me who it was that dwelt in me. It was the Spirit of God. And you know what? I was able to stand. Remembering that moment just right now gave me the boldness I needed to stand. God will give you the boldness you need to be able to stand as well in your day, for his spirit dwells in you. Are you a fearful Christian? Marvel at the power given. Marvel at God himself. For those of you investigating the faith, I know you're probably feeling a little skeptical about this account. You might wonder, did this really happen? I mean, Come on, this is a little crazy, don't you think? Did this really happen? C.S. Lewis, very helpful here. C.S. Lewis, the English Oxford professor, once wrote, this is why we need to read, he said. Reading helps us see with other eyes, to feel with other hearts, to engage and experience an otherwise foreign world while still remaining ourselves. Reading liberates us from our own time and place and releases us from the philosophical constraints of our era. We have two constraints in our era in general that prevent us from seeing this and understanding this reality here. It's the assumption and presupposition that God doesn't exist, 
That's our first constraint. And the second constraint is that we think that we are enough, we ourselves are enough to determine what is right and what is true. Lewis points out that these assumptions are dangerously blinding. For if you opened up your mind to consider the experiences of other people and opened your mind to take on other frames of references, you'll see that there is actually a high possibility that God exists. And if he does exist, you need to ask, would it be that far-fetched for God to engage us in such a unique and noteworthy manner? Uh, Graham Hines, one of our directors here at the church, put it really well. He said, if God did exist, wouldn't we want God to express and reveal himself in a noteworthy way? Otherwise, we'd just be disappointed. Acts chapter 2, for those of you investigating the faith, serves you by giving you a window into this marvelous frame of reference so that you'd be able to look at God with some reverence. When you read verses 6 to 7, the response of the onlookers are described here as they witness God's noteworthy arrival. What was it? It was bewilderment, amazement, and astonishment. Today, as you read Luke's account, you've experienced the early church's experience. Allow yourself to be amazed astonished and bewildered as you marvel at God. Marvel at God. Marvel at the power given. This is our first point and application for you today. As we move to our second point, ponder the promise kept, we now move from marveling to answering the question of the onlookers, which is, what does this all mean? Astonished, amazed, bewildered, verse 12 asks, what does this all mean? Some skeptics believe that Pentecost was a result of too much drinking. And so Peter, Peter, empowered by the Spirit, right? We know from earlier parts of the Bible that Peter is actually not a very bold person to begin with, actually. He's quite cowardly. He's quite cowardly, in fact, that when he said to Jesus that he would die for him before betraying him, we see that that wasn't true. On the night he was betrayed, where, did, where was Peter? Gone hightailed, but here empowered by the Spirit, he's now bold. He stands up and says, no, 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 we're, we're not drunk. He says it's the third hour. What time is that? That's about 9 a.m. That's not what you're seeing. That's not what you're seeing. What are you seeing? You're seeing God keep his 600-year-old promise in the beginning of a new era. Pondering Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 31, Peter, filled with the Spirit, has the Scriptures brought to the forefront of his mind to help us make sense of the times. Let's read. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. When Peter says we're in the last days, scholars are convinced that Peter is referring to the beginning of the end times. Couple this with the idea of the day of the Lord that we read in verse 20 and the day being Pentecost, this actually makes sense. Remember how we said that Pentecost signified the beginning and end of an agricultural season? Well, apparently this year, in God's perfect timing, Pentecost takes on a deeper meaning. A new spiritual season has begun. The last days have begun. Some of us wonder 
why we don't experience radical things like Pentecost in our daily lives today, and I think this is a good explanation of this. See, Pentecost is God's special way of saying to the world, the last days are here. And like fireworks calling our attention to mark the special occasion of the Spirit coming down, Pentecost was God's big way of saying to us, the last days are finally here. Reflecting on the last days, we see that the last days are made up of one part restoration and one part judgment. Joel calls this uh, the last days also by the term the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a period of judgment and restoration. And as we look at verse 17 to 21, we see both aspects, don't we? Look at verse 17 to 18. Here we see God pouring out his spirit, reversing Babel. These are pictures of restoration. As we look at verse 19 to 21, we see a picture of judgment. We hear that there's blood, fire, vapor of smoke, a sun turned black and a moon turned red. These are all portraits of terrifying judgment to come. Quoting Joel chapter 2, Peter wants you to see that you have entered the last days. God has began the work of restoring what was needed to be restored in preparation for the judgment to come. We don't know when the final day of judgment will come, but the scriptures are clear. It's coming. God is coming back. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that God will come back and judge the nations of the earth. He will wipe away the wicked from the world. He will erase the proud off the face of the earth. He will make all things right by removing all that has made it wrong, including sinful men and women who have not been reconciled to him. If you're investigating the faith, you might say God's not coming back. But Acts chapter 2 shows us that it took God 600 years before he decided to fulfill the first half of his promise. What makes you think that he's not waiting to fulfill the second half of his promise? This is sobering. Christ is coming back. Judgment will come when the day of the Lord, the final day of the Lord, appears. In our text today, there is a warning. Time is running out. God is coming back and it will be a terrifying day if you are not made right with him. This passage starts with restoration and then we see a picture of judgment, but it doesn't end in judgment. It ends with a picture of restoration again. Some of us think that the gospel is all about doom and gloom. If you're investing in a faith, I've heard many of you say that Christianity is quite judgmental. You will see here from the gospel and from the text that is actually not. It is gracious. It is gracious. How do I know? Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone, and that everyone, as we see from earlier passages, Other verses is that every person from every tribe, tongue, and nation who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's hope. There's hope. Some might say that the bad news of the gospel is that judgment is coming. But I'd like you to see that the good news of the gospel is that hope came. 
Hope came in the name of the one who lived on this earth, who died on this earth, only to rise from this earth in death-defeating, sin-atoning, relationship-restoring power. Hope came from the one who sent his spirit to dwell in you who believe. Hope came in the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior, if you're a Christian today. To call on the name of Jesus is to ask Christ to save you, to help you, to heal you, and to restore you in your relationship with God. And if you're investigating the faith, and this hope, this hope interests you, this hope intrigues you, could I invite you to go to the back of your bulletins, to the last, second last panel, and look to the prayer for the searching and the prayer for the belief, and ask God to make this hope a reality for you today. If you need help articulating your desire for God to restore you and your relationship with him, let these prayers be your guide. These prayers are always in our bulletin. Most of us just don't see them. My hope is that you would see that this grace is afforded to you and extended to you in Christ today. If you have questions about how you can become a Christian or you just want to talk more about this, Come find Dan after service. Come find me. Come find any of the music people. We'd love to talk. And we'd love to walk with you through this. Pondering the promise kept, the gospel offers you hope. So take it. Christians, Peter's sermon reminds us that we are in the last days. God is coming back. And I want you to see that one of the many reasons God gave us his spirit today was to empower you to be like prophets who who not only herald the gospel grace of God, but also warn people the dangers of neglecting his grace. I, I know, I know that telling people about spiritual dangers and that God is going to judge them is wildly unpopular. I'm not unaware of that. But think of it this way. Imagine you're crossing Carlton and Jarvis with a friend. You're about to cross the street and you see from the corner of your your eye a car zipping down the road. You see from the driver's eyes that they have no intention of stopping because they want to cut the corner before you can make it out onto the street and delay them from passing. You notice that your friend's unaware and your friend's about to take that first step. and You know they're going to get flattened. What's the right thing to do? What are you going to do? You're going to grab their arm, and you're going to shout from the top of your lungs, look out! Stop! We warn them. We warn them. Out of love, we'd warn them. Out of concern, we'd warn them. We would warn them. So Christians, why are we so ashamed and afraid to warn our friends if we really believe that this is true? We should warn them, for it is the loving thing to do. I'm not saying that we need to be pushy. I'm not saying that we need to press it every chance we get. I'm not saying we need to even flood the streets and become the next street preachers. But what I'm saying is we need to be faithful here. Telling someone that their soul is in danger is never an easy thing to do. I get it. But it is one of the most loving things we can do if what we believe is actually true. So I look at the time, we have about five minutes left, and so let's get practical. Let's get practical with applications. Uh, one of the most common struggles today with sharing our faith 
in an ever-increasing hostile world is, uh, well, not just fear, but also a sense of inadequacy. So let's explore how can we share our gospel? What are some effective ways of sharing God's gospel to the world? Let's do it from Acts chapter 2, okay? Earlier, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, that the people were declaring the mighty deeds of God. And you might have heard me say that, you know, people were declaring their testimonies or sharing their experience of God in a new language. Uh, There's a reason for that. There's a reason why I said testimony. And it's because David Peterson, in his commentary on Acts chapter 2, verse 11, suggested that telling people the mighty deeds of God in the early church was likely people simply sharing their eyewitness accounts of their interactions with Jesus. The only difference was that the Spirit gave them a unique power and gift to be able to do it in a new language. But the story was still theirs, and the experience was still theirs. Acts chapter 1 said that the disciples, the followers, would be witnesses. To be a witness means you've experienced that experience. And so here, Peterson's argument is that when we go and share our faith, one practical approach, one easy approach, is to share your story. Share your experience of how you encountered God, of how you've experienced God. You might not realize it, but your personal story is a powerful, powerful, powerful vehicle for helping you you and your friends experience Jesus. When you tell your friends what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means to you and why it is that he matters to you, your friends are given a a choice to, to move beyond their frame of reference, their singular frame of reference, to move into yours, to see what your eyes got to see, to hear what your ears got to hear, to experience what you got to experience while still being themselves. Remember what C.S. Lewis said about books? It's the same thing with your story. So let's get more practical. If you're in a small group, or you're a small group leader, maybe you haven't already done this, could I encourage you, could I encourage you to make it a habit to create space for one another to share your testimony? Why? So that you can practice and you can rehearse your stories for when you share it with your friends. It doesn't need to be long. In fact, for our friends' sake, don't make it long. Keep it short. And practice. Carve out three minutes in the beginning of your small groups and have one person share for that week. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Practice together so that you'll be all the more equipped and prepared for when you share your faith with your friends. Maybe you're not in a small group. I encourage you this weekend, you know, it's Thanksgiving. Take some time to look back on your life and your life with God and say, God, what am I thankful for? And write down your story in a piece of paper and keep it for the day when you need it to share with your friends. What's one helpful way for sharing our faith in this day and age? through your story, through your testimonies. Another thing that might be helpful is to use scripture in our conversation. We see Peter do this in verse 14, right? He, he quotes an entire chapter of the Old Testament. My gosh, that's a lot of memory. That's a lot of work. <laughs> One of the things that discourages Christians from sharing the faith is not feeling like they know their Bibles well enough. This was me 14 years ago. And confessing this to my friend on campus, he encouraged me to do something about it. He encouraged me to start memorizing scripture. 
trusting that God will help me and draw it to memory and draw it to my mind in the day that I needed it. And he encouraged me to start small. I mean small. Verses that were one sentence long. And these are some of the verses I go to even today, and I'm going to share them with you. And I encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write them down and to memorize them because you won't realize how helpful it is until the day you come and share your faith with your friends. The first passage is Romans 3, 28. And this passage here helps my, helped me and my friends understand that we were made to live for God but failed to do so. Romans 3, 28, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just a simple sentence. To help explain the price and penalty of our sins, I go to Romans chapter 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This tells people, what's the price of sin? Death, judgment. But, Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God made a way. In his mercy, he made a way by sending his son to die for us so that if we declare with our mouth, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We shall be saved. Through faith in Christ who died in our place, we are saved. Four simple passages. Romans 3, 28, 6, 23, 5 verse 8, 10 verse 9. Four verses, two minutes. We just walk through the gospel. Is there more we could say? Yes. I went to seminary and I learned this a lot, I could say. <laughs> but we're just talking about the basics. And God has not called us all to be seminarians. God has not called us all to be the preacher that stands here on a Sunday morning. God has called us, though, to all be witnesses. And by memorizing simple verses like this and rehearsing your testimony, you can do just that. Trusting that the Spirit will guide your preparation, guide your conversations, and even bring to mind all these things that you've rehearsed on the day to share your faith, God can use you. God will use you. God will be delighted to use you. As we conclude, our time is up, and so let's summarize. Today, we marveled at the power given, and we pondered the promise kept. And in doing so, my hope is that God has begun to help you face your fears, Grace Toronto, and encouraged you to loosen your lips as you tell the world about your God about your Savior, about your Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that you would help us. You would give us a vision and a desire to want to be witnesses for you, that you would help us see that it is not impossible, but that you have made it possible. Equip us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we do have a few minutes for Q&A, um, so we'll go for as long as we can. I'll answer as many as I can. I will try to only answer questions that are pertinent to this text, and so if there's any funny questions, um, I'll let Dan answer them. <laughs> um, 
There's actually only a couple of questions, so uh, we'll go through, through them. Uh, you spoke about the power that uh, God gives through his spirit. What, if a, what does a Christian do if they don't feel that power? So oftentimes we, uh, this is a great question, because oftentimes I feel like I don't have that power. In fact, I yes. just told you I don't. Um, one of the things that we, we, we often recognize, or we don't recognize, is that, uh, you know, to, to, to experience the power of the Spirit, you, you, gotta, you gotta pray for it sometimes. Most of us don't ask God to reveal himself to us in this way. Most of us don't even engage God in this way uh, when we feel ourselves wanting or, or lacking. If you read the book of Acts, you know, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 13, all these times these people are feeling scared, inadequate, or fearful. And what are they doing? They pray. And what happens? God shows up. He brings the thunder and lightning, and they're equipped to do miraculous and powerful things. And so I would encourage you to start there. Start with prayer and trust. Trust that God will reveal himself to you in a powerful way. Another thing is oftentimes we think that the Spirit needs to work in very supernatural ways. Uh, we, we think that, you know, okay, I, I've prayed now. Now God's going to all of a sudden let me loosen my tongue, and I'm going to start speaking in tongues. It's not necessarily true. Sometimes, sometimes no, sometimes yes. What I have noticed is that more often than not, God has empowered us through the common graces, such as preparation, such as faithful reading and studying. And in his own timing and in his own way, when we need it, he draws it to our mind. And all of a sudden you realize, you become aware, wow, there is power. God is powerful. He is really powerful. Uh, I'll share one story and I'll end this question. I'll sit down. Uh, um, <laughs> I got licensed with the Presbytery not too long ago, and to be licensed means you're allowed to preach in the pulpit fairly regularly, and it means that I don't need Dan to vet through all my sermons anymore, and he doesn't have to correct everything, and he probably will later in my preacher review. Uh, but what, what, what we have to do when we are being licensed is we have to stand before the Presbytery amongst maybe 30-some ministers who know their Bible really well, and they just grill you with questions. One question, for example, is, you know, what's the importance of Deuteronomy? What's the provenance? What, you know, why was it written? Where was it written from? And uh, what's the outline? Or tell me the book of Hebrews. What's the outline for Hebrews or Matthew? And they ask you all these ridiculous questions. I mean ridiculous. And one of the beautiful things, and I think they, did, they do this on purpose. It's not to scare us and it's not to bully us or anything like this. It's to encourage us. We study... For months. Tarek got licensed not too long ago. Well, we studied for months. And in that preparation, when we stand there, we're praying that God would bring all these things to memory. And as they ask us these questions, I know these men are praying for us that God would bring these things to memory. And guess what he does? He did. It's mind-blowing that I actually remembered all the outlines that I had to remember and was able to tell him chapter by chapter what each book was about. That's actually God powerfully working the common elements of preparation and study. It's not because I'm smart. I'm actually not smart. <laughs> My grades will show you that. <laughs> it's God being powerful. And so I want to encourage you to not write off God and put him in a box and expect him to have to work in certain ways as he has shown us today from his word that he doesn't always have to. Dan. 
We don't have time for any of the other questions. Sorry, fellows. Uh, I will pick up the question about whether Acts and the Roaring of Pentecost is a one-time event next week when we continue our look at Acts chapter 2, so that you who, the number of you who've asked that question, we will answer. But for today, what we want to do is take a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit ourselves. So let's go to prayer. Father, I pray that as we reflect and respond to you, your Spirit would come and speak in us, to us, and through us. I pray that we would be people who are filled with your Spirit and bearing witness of your great and gracious deeds and seeing other people's lives changed because of you. Help us, Lord, to trust that your Spirit is in us if we are Christians and to long for your Spirit to be in us if we are not. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. We have a song of reflection, so I'd ask you to stand with us and respond.